Last week, we thought about our relationship with God. It was a pretty straightforward gospel presentation. We considered the personal implications of the gospel. Now, the gospel is big. It's the good news of Jesus restoring all things. It's grandiose. It's expansive. It's cosmic in scope. Jesus is changing everything. Oh, it's so much bigger than us, but that does not mean it does not include us. The God who restores the cosmos is the same God who keeps covenant with his people. The Lord God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God of hosts is the Lord our God. He is our shepherd. He is our father. He loved us while we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He gave his life for ours. He traded our sin for his righteousness. And he did this all that we may glorify him and walk in the path he has set before us. When we were his enemies, God made us his friends. Our relationship with our creator is the most fundamental relationship in our lives. We began there in this series on relationships because if our walk with God is not right, none of the relationships in our lives will function the way God intends. There is no silver bullet. There is no practical advice that can supplant a heart obedient to God. Our vertical relationship with God orders and informs all the horizontal relationships with others. Now, just so we are clear, that vertical horizontal dimension will be talked about a lot over the next several weeks. Like when we talk about the vertical dimension of our lives, we're talking about our, our relationship with God. And when we talk about our horizontal relationships, we're talking about our relationships with other people, spouses, sons, daughters, friends, neighbors, enemies, frenemies, and everything in between. Our vertical relationship with God orders and informs all the horizontal relationships in our lives. Our friendship with God is foundational to all other friendships. And it is to friendship we turn this morning. Over the next several weeks, we'll think about several things. We'll think about friendship, marriage, singleness. We'll think about things like communication, conflict resolution, handling and walking through grief and despair. But friendship will be one theme that runs through all these sermons. I think friendship impacts every relationship in some way. If we learn how to be friends, we learn how to be better spouses. What is marriage if not a lifelong spiritual friendship? If we learn more about friendship, I think we have a healthier approach to singleness. A healthier understanding of deep commitment to friendship will make us better church members. I want to say four quick things this morning about friendship that I hope will lead us towards a culture of rich and deep, healthy, Christ-exalting, and grace-filled friendships. If you're taking notes, these four things will form the contours of our sermon. First, we are created for friendship. We are created for friendship. Second, friendship is found. Friendship is found. Third, we'll see that friendship is forged. Friendship is forged. And fourth, we'll see that friendship is formative. 
friendship is formative. We are created for friendship. Friendship is found, it's discovered. Friendship is forged, it's cultivated. It takes intentional effort. And finally, friendship is formative. Let's frame this sermon with one passage of Scripture, though we will piece together our working theology of friendship from multiple passages as we go. Let's turn together to John chapter 15, verse 12 through 17. There, I think, John the Apostle uses friendship as a framework by which we can think about the whole of the Christian life. Let's look together in John 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are commanded to love one another because we are created for friendship. We are commanded to love one another because we are created for friendship. Now, with this in mind, let's jump to Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 15 through, I'm just going to read some highlights from Genesis 1. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. If you're familiar with the opening pages of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, the Lord God is creating all things. He created X, and it was good. He created Y, and it was good. He created Z, and it was good. The Lord creates, and he pronounces these things to be good. God places man in Eden, where he walked with him in perfect friendship, and he gives him a command. Eat from any tree in the garden except for one. If you eat from that one tree, you will surely die. Up to this point in the scripture that I've just read, God has created man, everything is good. Adam has a right relationship with God. He is doing meaningful work. He's a, a farmer and a zoologist, we might say. Sin has not yet entered the picture, but even before sin enters the story, the Lord God sees something that he says is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. I'm not sure I've ever noticed this, and I, I don't want to say too much really, but I, I think it's fair to at least say that, that Adam was lonely before sin enters the world. Perhaps you find in your heart an aching for a friend. I don't think that ache is necessarily sinful, because before sin even enters the world, God says it is not good for a man to be alone. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller quips about this passage, we cannot even enjoy paradise without friends. We cannot even enjoy paradise without friends. Now, I'm an introvert, so I would challenge that a little bit. I would say, man, I don't know. 
Like, you just get me, like, a one-room, I mean, me and Holly and Roe, of course, right? You just get us, a, like, a one-room place, and I'll be there, and I'll be fine forever. I think that, but it's not the case. Whether you're an introvert or extrovert, however you may think of yourself, we are created social beings. We see in the very first pages of Scripture that God creates us in relationship with Him. He sees that it's not good for us to be alone, and He creates others who are like us, to befriend us, to work with us in the task He's called us to. We want friends because it is hardwired into us to want friends. Brother, sister, we all long for a place to belong. We all want people who are safe, who make us feel seen, who make us feel heard, and who acknowledge our existence. This is not a bug. It's a feature. It's not a problem to overcome. It's a, a reality to embrace. We are created as social beings. It is good, right, healthy, and natural to want friends. You are not weird at least not for wanting friends. So that's the theology, right? Let's talk nuts and bolts of friendship. I promised we would be practical in this series, and we certainly will. Let's talk about making friends and keeping friends. What if I told you that any two Christians could be friends with one another? What if I told you that any two Christians could be friends with one another? Back to John 15. I didn't leave it hanging. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. Verse 15 is where I want to focus for a moment. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I've heard from my father. I have made known to you. Imagine a first century home where there are servants and friends gathered together in the house. A servant's job is to serve the friends, serve the party. The master of the house has friends who are his buddies, his equals. Uh, he talks with them about whatever thing interests them, whatever reason they've come together. The job of the servant is to be like a, a, a waitstaff, like with, with dignity, of course, but to, to, there's a clear line. Like, these people are friends. This person is hired to help make this meeting go well. So the servants know that they're there, but there's a, a distance. Almost like a, if you think about a, a restaurant, right? If you've got friends meeting at a restaurant, like the waiter's job is not to become one of the friends necessarily. The waiter's job is to provide the meal, provide all that is necessary for the friends to do whatever it is that the friends are going to do. Jesus uses this metaphor to explain to his disciples the transformation that's taking place. Like you're not servants who are like in the room, but off to a distance. No, no, no. I have, I've brought you in. Like you're at the table. You know all the stuff. He said, you know you're fr are my friend because I have told you everything the Father has told me. In other words, that Jesus has disclosed to his disciples the hidden plan of God. That Jesus is making clear to the disciples the reason for his coming to earth. You're not servants anymore, you're friends, because you've been let in on the secret things of God. 
I've told you everything the Father has told me. Now let's keep this in mind for just a moment. I, I think that friendship is found. I think that friendship is discovered. It's not something that we go out and create out of nothing so much as it's something that finds us. Like what I'm about to say I got from The Meaning of Marriage, which is uh, one of my favorite books on marriage. It's the book that we use for premarital counseling here at at Res. Tim Keller is talking about marriage as spiritual friendship. We're going to talk a lot about that in, in the next week. And he talks about friendship beginning. He borrows this idea from Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and and many, many others. That friendship begins with two words. Friendship begins with two words. You too. You too. I I thought I was the only one, right? You're a Reds fan too. You're in fourth block English class, me too. You like Nickelback? Oh man, you know what I'm saying. I have a conspiracy theory about that, by the way, but we don't have time to get into that. The secret of friendship, I think, is that it's not about friendship. Here's what I mean. Erotic love is two people looking at one another and focusing on one another. Friendship is not so much like two people looking at each other and focusing on each other as much as friendship is is two people standing shoulder to shoulder looking at something else. Friendship is two people standing shoulder to shoulder looking at something else. That that shared interest, that shared passion, that shared horizon, that shared destination, that makes them friends. And that as they journey together towards that, in pursuit of that interest, in pursuit of that destination, on that journey, that as they're going through that together, they realize they're not going through that alone. They're going through that with someone else. And like we move towards one another as we gaze together at the shared object of our interest. Lovers talk to each other about their love. Friends don't necessarily talk to each other about their friendship. Their friendship is found in the path of shared commitments, shared experience, shared desires. We see this in all sorts of places. Lord of the Rings, the books and the movies, but specifically the books, it's at its core a story about friendship. A common journey makes a band of unlikely people friends and their differences become their strengths. You hear this idea when people say things like, it's not about winning or losing, it's about the friends you make along the way. Maybe that's just what the Reds fans say. When professional athletes retire, you hear them talk about the relationships they made along their way that they'll miss most. I'll miss the bus rides most. I'll miss uh, the locker room the most. When actors and actresses and directors and people who work on the set of a film, when they finish a project, they don't say, wow, I, I really miss the content that we did, as much as they say, I, I miss the people we made this movie with. I miss the people who I shared this space with and shared this experience with. Think about your life in a job. You often miss relationships you have in that office or you don't miss them at all. Good relationships can make a bad job bearable, but bad relationships can make a good job unbearable. Friendship is something we find in pursuit of something else. Friendship begins when you turn to someone next to you and say, you're going there too. How does this relate to our text? And how does it help us make friends? The kingdom of God is our common horizon. Jesus is our shared love. 
The gospel is the good news that we've been let in on, John 15, 15. Jesus told you that too. Jesus has let you in on that too. Jesus says, I have revealed the message of the gospel to you. This is how you know we're friends. I've let you in on the plan. And I've done this so that you will love one another, John 15, 17. I have made you my friends so that together you might share this knowledge of God and that this knowledge of God would bind you together in love. You know the hidden things of God too. You cherish the gospel too. Jesus has shared the plan of God for the whole world with you too. You love this good news too. You want to learn to love God and love others too. You want to learn to live a holy, righteous life of love too. You want to make disciples too. Friends, any two Christians can be friends because Jesus has made us his friend. Any two Christians can be friends because Jesus has made us his friend. Our love for him binds us together. He lets us in on the things of God so that we can love one another, John 15, 17. The gospel is the good news we've been let in on. The kingdom of God is the common horizon to which we journey, and making disciples is the mission we share. But brother and sister, just because friendship is found does not make friendship easy. Yes, it is, I think, something we find, but it's also something we must work for. The third thing we see about friendship this morning is that it is forged. It is cultivated. Now, this seems to contradict everything I just said. However, I don't think it does. I think it complements what I just said. We are not automatically friends with people who like the same things as us believe the same things as us, or get excited about the same things we get excited about. I just want to make the case right now that friendship in the gospel requires the gospel. Friendship in the gospel requires the gospel. John 15, 12, here is my command, that you love one another, how? As I have loved you. Jesus is commanding his disciples to love one another and he qualifies that command with some description on how they're to do it. You will love one another the same way I loved you. Jesus is the power, the source of our friendship, and Jesus is the means by which we can cultivate that friendship. Jesus says, look to how I have loved you. How does Jesus love us? We could say so much. We'll say a few things. First, we could say Jesus loves us sacrificially. The greatest example of love he will soon show as he lays down his life for his friends. He came not to be served, but, but to serve. He came not for his own sake, but he came for our sake. Friends, hear this, please. Jesus does not love you because you're useful. Jesus does not love you because you're useful. Jesus loves you because he loves you. There's a cold, hard truth that I think is something we must reckon with. Most people we know associate with us while we are useful. Oftentimes those very people leave us when we are no longer useful. 
If you play a role in their life, you are there as long as you play that role. If you do not play that role, it's over. Transactional relationships are prevalent in our culture. You find out what someone thinks of you often when they have nothing to gain from you. I think we cultivate friendship by focusing less on what we get out of relationships and more on what we give to someone. Like loving like Jesus means loving sacrificially. Loving sacrificially means loving at a cost to oneself. Loving at a cost to oneself means that I'm not so much interested in, in befriending you so that all of my felt needs are met, but I'm interested in, in befriending you so that I can sort of uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus in your life so that I can love you, so that I can show you the way that Jesus loves you. How does Jesus love us? He loves us sacrificially. He also loves us, loves us with constancy. He loves us with constancy. You can count on Jesus. He's not hot and cold. He is there for you. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Jesus is the true friend who always loves us. In adversity and in trouble, we need the constancy of a friend who loves at all times. You can only demonstrate constancy over a long period of time. Brother, sister, good friends may not talk all the time, but you know they will love you in all sorts of times. To love another like Jesus is to love with constancy, to love with steadfastness, to love in season and out of season, to be the shoulder to cry on, the hand to help up, to be the one who's there. Leading us to our third point, Jesus loves us with his presence. Jesus loves us with his presence. We talked last week about how God saves us for himself, that the beauty of the gospel was that in it we get God. The point of the gospel is that we would know and worship and love and glorify the Lord, our God. Jesus has promised that he is with us to the end of the age, at the end of Matthew. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Through the Spirit of God, Jesus dwells with his people. A good friend is present. A good friend shows up. Friendship is forged through sacrificial love. Friendship is forged through constancy and consistency. Friendship is forged through presence, through simply showing up. So how do we cultivate friendship? How can we forge such friendships? There's so much we could say. I'm barely scratching the surface. How can we obey what Jesus commands here in John 15, to love others the way he loves us? First, I think we can show up show up in the lives of others sacrificially and repeatedly. Be there for someone. An acquaintance asks if there's anything they can do for you. A friend makes it happen. The gospel that makes us friends, this is so important. The gospel that makes us friends keeps us friends. Friendships are hard, but friendships are worth the struggle. They are worth the fight. Jesus gives us grace to persevere in friendship. He empowers us when we must learn to forgive one another. I often say you don't find out if someone is committed to you until they need to forgive you. You often don't find out if someone's committed to you or the church or a friendship or a friend group until something doesn't go their way and they have to respond to it. 
It's easy to be in, to be a friend, to be there when the chips are up, when things are easy, when things are good. But when things are bad, when things are hard, we prove the sincerity of that confession. The gospel makes us friends, but from the power we find in it, the Spirit's ability he gives us to love others, to forgive others, to expect the best, to think the best of others. Through that power, we can not only find the same horizon, but we have the strength for the journey to get there. How then do you begin making friends? You want something practical, here you go. Be someone who points others to Jesus. How can I begin making friends? If friendship is found and friendship is forged, how do I go about finding and forging healthy friendships? The first and most foundational thing I think we can say is that we must be someone who points others to Jesus. And if you do that, you you will become a friend to somebody who wants to find him. It might not be the person you want, but you will make a friend. I talked last week, the impetus for the last series we did, why we do the things we do on Sunday mornings, was so that the church may have a workable and practical and biblical and theological understanding of why everything that happens on Sunday morning happens, so that we would know, like, this is why we gather, and if we don't gather, this is what we're missing. And this series on relationships is not, it's not necessarily about the surface, but it's about community, about the type of people we are, not just on Sunday from 11.05 into 12.15, but who we are before that and, and after that. We are not just rebuilding a service, but, but in many ways in the season of life, we are rebuilding a community. So what is the most important thing you can do as a church member? Here it is. Love God and make friends. Approach others with grace and charity, believing the best and hoping the best. Frankly, I think distance makes that harder. I think over the last two years, we have been trained to treat each other with skepticism and suspicion. I'll let you in as long as I know you agree with me about all this list of things. But until I know what kind of person you are by, and how you signal that by what you wear, what you say, what you don't say, what you want to talk about, then I'll let you in or not. But I'm not sure about you. I'll hold you at arm's length until I know more about all these things in your life. There is a better way. Now, fourth, Friendship is formative. Who you choose to befriend is of great consequence. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If you walk with the wise, you become wise. If you're in the company of fools, you will become a fool. Relationships shape us. They're meant to shape us. In many ways, we are who we are. We become who we become by the promises that we make and keep. We are social beings whose identity is not formed in isolation, but is formed in the fire of relationships. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. 
relationships are meant to shape us. Healthy relationships edify us, but they do not always affirm us. This challenges our modern culture, brother or sister. Affirming someone is not always loving them. This idea is in the Bible. Proverbs also say, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Here's what that means. Hard truth from someone who loves you is better than flattery from someone who does not. Hard truth from someone who loves you is better than flattery from someone who does not. The ESV, which we generally read from, translates this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know that person is a friend in as much as you can, at least, when those wounds hurt them too. A friend does not enjoy telling their friends something that will hurt them. If they do, they're, they're not a friend. But brother, sister, friend, surround yourself with people who love you enough to tell you the truth. Surround yourself with people who love you enough to tell you the truth. Should we spend time with people who are far from God? Absolutely. Jesus did. But it's possible. And I see this happen more than I can tell you. And this has probably been one of the biggest burdens on my heart in the last several months. It's possible and it happens more than I can say that we spend so much time with friends who do not care about God that our love of God does not rub off on them. But their apathy toward God rubs off on us. I'm going to say that again because I, I think it's one of the most urgent problems in our church today. It is easy to, to spend so much time with folks who, who do not love God, spending time away from the people of God, that, that we convince ourselves that, oh, I'm going to go into this space and I'm going to be like the missionary there, I'm going to be like the light there. But what happens is their apathy toward God rubs off on us. Like, I don't talk about this theoretically. I might not have even pointed this out five years ago. But I see, like, like activism for some, for example, is no longer the outworking of their faith. It is the replacement for one's faith. For some, politics are no longer a part of the fully orbed Christian life. It's the only thing that fires them up. Like for some, like they're, they're no longer interested in believing biblical doctrine. They just want to find the line, like the lowest belief threshold that, that they can still say they're Christians. So the, the approach to the Bible then becomes not like, oh man, this is God's word, this is the truth, I'm going to dig into this and I'm going to find like all this wisdom for life. The approach becomes skepticism and it becomes how little of this can I still believe while also claiming to have a relationship with Jesus. Like where's the line that I can still say I'm a Christian but it won't cause any conflict with people who are non-Christians. My, my beliefs will still be accessible or my, my beliefs will still be acceptable to, to everyone in my office or all of my friends or whatever. The walk with God then becomes not about thriving and growing in truth but it becomes shelling off 
fundamentally defensive, looking for the lowest common denominator of truth and losing lots of joy. Friends, it is inevitable that we often become like the people we're around. And we're around people because we share interests. We need friends who point each other to Jesus. I need friends who point me to Jesus. You need friends who point you to Jesus. You need to work, I need to work to cultivate those relationships. We need to work to make new friends as we're journeying together in the way of Jesus. And we need to work on relationships with old friends. I think sometimes in church life, this is maybe another little bit of a challenging word, but I'm flying to Kansas City, so I'm, you know, I'm just going to throw out all the challenges and get the heck out of town here. But you know, another challenging word is it's so easy in church life to like find your couple of friends and that's it. Like these are my, these are my two friends. We do everything together. We serve together. We go to study together. We, uh, we do all these things together. And then there's no one else in there. And so what that, what that creates in the church, if enough people do that, is it just stunts your ability to grow and make disciples. Because what happens is people walk into a church and what they find is not a group of people who are looking to bring in more people. What they find is people who have already found their people. What they find is people who are already buddies with a couple of people and they don't want more buddies because more buddies takes more work. And I don't got time for that. So I've got my one or two friends, you've got your one or two friends, and then we can almost become territorial in that, right? Surely you've never been friends with someone who's territorial about their friendship with another person. Wait, I thought we were best friends. I thought we were really close. And so what, what can happen then is there can be like, almost like a jealousy. But I was reading an article from C.S. Lewis about friendship this week, and he, 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 said, he argues that friendship is the least jealous of all our loves. Friendship is the least jealous of all our loves. He talks about having an ever-expanding circle of friends. And here's what he says. In each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can bring out. In each of my friends, there's something that only another person can bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all their facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to his jokes. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth, each bringing out all that is best, wisest, and funniest in the others. I love that line. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth each bringing out all that is best, wisest, or funniest in the others. So what? Worship team, go ahead and come up. Commit to the God who makes us friends. Commit to the God who makes us friends. And then open yourself up to looking to your left and looking to your right as you're committing yourself to that God. Here's what I mean. Commit to saying, I love the Lord God with all my heart. I want to follow him. I want to walk his way. And so once you've got that direction set, all right, you've got that in your GPS. You pull up Apple Maps or Waze and you put in there, you know, kingdom of God and you, you start going in that direction. And then as you're walking in that direction, you start looking around and seeing who else is walking that direction with you. 
find together the common ground in that destination, find together the common ground in that gospel that has set you on that track, realize that it's like, oh, Jesus has let you in on this too. Jesus has showed himself to you too. Well, we have that in common. Let's, let's use that as a strength together. We need each other for this life that we're going to live. And then be that friend who is going to walk on that path even when others start to wander off it. That way, when they wander off it, they look and they think, oh, he's still on it. Oh, she is still on it. And I can trust them. And then you are the hand of God. You are the means by which God brings that person back into relationship with him. Be a friend and, and make friends who point others to Jesus. Be a friend and make friends who point others to Jesus because as the scriptures told us, Jesus has made us his friends. As we go to the supper, um, there's a moment in the scriptures where Jesus is helping his people see that he wants sincere hearts more than he wants acts of worship. That he cares more about where we are internally then how we demonstrate that externally. He says, if you have something against your brother, like leave your gift at the altar and go get right with your brother. And so this morning, as we think about friendship, yes, come to the table and take of the table, but before you come, spend a moment of reflection. Like, have I allowed over the last couple of years, like things to creep into my relationship with others in the household of God? Am I approaching others with charity or with skepticism? Am I approaching others sacrificially or am I waiting for others to sacrifice for me? Am I fixating on friendship in ways that are not healthy like we talked about in Genesis 1, it's healthy to want friends, but am I, am I pridefully, like self-consciously just thinking about myself all the time? It's easy to see pride in the blustery bravado, but it's, it's harder to see pride in the deep insecurity that causes us to turn inward. Ask not only these questions, but ask, have I wronged a brother or sister? Is there something that has been wrong that I need to make right? Is there an apology that I am withholding? Is there forgiveness that I am withholding? Because we don't stay on the path without grace. We don't Stay friends without grace. This is not the last word about friendship, but it's the first. Friendship is like a, a crimson streak that will work its way through this whole series. May this be a place, may we be a people where deep friendships are formed and forged. And like Lewis said, may we delight in a third friend a fourth friend, a fifth friend. May our circles of friendship not be closed ponds, but may they be open streams of grace for all to come and taste the love of Jesus. May this be a place where friendships multiply as we make disciples of all nations. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.
Father, we were your enemies and you made us friends. Your word says that we were walking the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But you, Lord, because of the great love with which you loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you have made us alive together with you. You have seated us in the heavenly places in the coming ages. You may shower us with grace and kindness. Oh, it's by grace through faith we have been saved, not by works, lest any of us should boast. We are your workmanship. We're created anew in you for good works, which you prepared beforehand. Help us to walk in those. And as we're walking in those, help us find others who are doing the same. Help us look over to our left and our right and say, you're going there too. You love him too. You want to be in on this faith journey too. You want to obey King Jesus too. Help us be a friend. Even if it's just a one person, help us be a friend who is constant and sacrificial and who always shows up. Father, I pray that these words, that this sermon, that your word would mark the sort of community we are becoming. And I pray this would not be a cold place, but this would be a warm place where gospel fire burns bright. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.